Hey, it's Clay from the manual. I hope all is well and that you are putting your best self forward. I'm coming to you today from the Anchor app, which is used to record the manual. It is a great way to record your podcast, amplify your voice, get your message out and engage with your friends and have some fun. It is a very easy app to use. You download the Anchor app and it will actually give you a chance to get on the other platforms such as Google Cast, Apple and Spotify. So use the Anchor app. And have a great time. Hello. Hey, welcome to the manual. What's going on? Not too much. I feel like a 75-year-old trying to figure this shit out. Technology, huh? Technology. Here we go. That's, Here we yeah. go. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, you're coming through crystal clear. Um, Excellent. If you can set your apparatus down flat um, yeah, and it is. to stay within earshot, mm-hmm. good to go. So welcome to the manual where the um, podcast is very organic, conversations are, are fluid, and we talk about anything you want to talk about. So um, introduce yourself and let's get into what you want to talk about today. Uh, my name is Matt, uh, Matt Freights. Um, live in the suburbs of Virginia. I'm coming in. Like a phoenix, I'm coming out of the ashes from the newborn phase of having our first child. Congratulations um, again. Thank you, yeah. And, uh, you know, everybody always says, oh, man, it must be so great. And I'm like, you people are out of your friggin' mind. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but, like, so many people aren't realistic. But anyway, so, uh, you know, same kind of thing. Married, uh, like I said, I'm buried in the suburbs of Virginia. But uh, about me, I'm 37. Uh you know, boxing fan, sports fan. That's how I met met you, obviously, through boxing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been doing that for, for a while. Um, and I think I'm pretty pretty much your prototypical, I mean, prototypical uh, 30-something white dude, right? <laughs> uh, you know, like, nothing distinguishes me from anybody else, even though people are like, man, you know, you're just so different than people I know. And I'm like, man, you must know some boring ass people because <laughs> I don't feel like I'm very exciting at all. But I think what people end up finding exciting about me is they come over and they're like, I had no idea you had so many shoes. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. that's kind of, it's like, it, it's the only talking point. And um, up until I started that two years ago, when everybody would be like, tell us something interesting about yourself. And I'm like, uh, yeah, pass. Because I don't really, <laughs> I don't really have anything. So that's me, right? I mean, I, I, uh, you know, I love sports, obviously, but I think what I'm really interested in is just kind of like uh, absorbing life uh, through yeah. conversation. I mean, yeah. y- you and I have had plenty of in-depth conversation. Uh, you know, clanging the, clanging some iron uh, and doing some other things. And uh, that's as I've gotten older, that's really what I'm, I'm interested in is just kind of analyzing the world and trying to stay out of as much trouble as possible yeah absolutely the um for those those listening um matt is a started as a client of mine and then became a really good friend he's almost like a brother to me not even almost he's like a brother to me. so we uh we've known each other quite some time now and we you know we share a lot of passion together um talk sports you know he's a he's a pats fan god damn it but um you know, a lot of championships this guy's witnessed in his lifetime. I wish I, I witnessed none, but you know, hopefully we can get ourselves together under Adam, Adam Gase. So we'll see. We'll <laughs> see. <laughs> Are you sure about that? Because uh, I mean, like, so it's funny you mentioned the Pats because my mom asked me last night if my son was going to be a Patriots fan, and I was like, he's going to be whatever fan he wants, and um, you know, but. If you ask my father, he'll be like, that, that kid's going to be a Pats fan because, um, you know, and, and, and Cleve, you can attest, I'm not your prototypical Pats fan where I'm just, I'm towing the company line and Massachusetts, everything is the best. I'm so critical of. Yeah, you guys of the, are. You guys I'm, are. I'm, I'm so critical of most of the fans there. And my father is your insert Boston sports fan. And I love egging him on. Like, it almost actually makes me happy when the Pats lose, especially a big game, because I love calling him after a big game. And I'm like, hey, how'd that game go? And he's like, Jesus Christ, all this other stuff. Right? (laughs) And uh, it just, it it, it amuses me, because I think I used to feel that way. Um, 
And I always say that there's only one game that I can't ever get over, and it's the first Giant Super Bowl, the 18 and one game. Like I, and I don't think that that's unreasonable to say that I'll never get over that. But every every other loss is like whatever, man. I yeah. Mean, yeah. It's I, not like I'm out there getting hit, so I'm not really contributing to the success of the team. Wow. Um, and you know that's how I think about it. But yeah, it's funny. So speaking of speaking of sports, since we since we're kind of gonna you know jump around before we get to what you really want to dive into, what do you so what do you I mean obviously baseball is in disarray right now. I don't think they're gonna make a season out of this thing. Um, but what do you think uh, as far as football, college football? You think we got a chance at even getting some of this stuff this this uh, season? So I, I'm gonna tell you that the answer to that is yes, only because. I mean, there's financial interests that are involved here, and and it's not just the financial interests of the players in pro football only, and I'll get to college in a minute, but um, we're talking about thousands of jobs across the landscape of the pros, right? I mean, from down to your water boy, to your cheerleaders, all the way up to your head coach and your players, uh, and all those random people that work in the front office that make your team a product on Sundays or Thursdays or Saturdays or whatever the hell they decide to play. Um, and I, so I think that there's too much at stake for that really to not exist. I th- and, and you're seeing a lot of backlash from the players about, well, you don't have my safety in mind. And then some players who are like, shit, I want to get out there. Um, I, I actually said to my wife last night that if I'm a college football player and I have draft aspirations or I know that I'm going to be a player, I say I'm not playing because I'm not getting paid anything. Yeah. And the scholarship to me is it's to me, the scholarship is never enough, even under the circumstances of a normal season in which Nick Saban is sitting like Scrooge McDuck on his money somewhere. And the kids that are trotting out for him while they end up making the pros at like a 50 percent clip during those games, they're not making anything. No, and, and catastrophic injuries that yeah. if, if they are injured, next guy's up. We forget about you. Thank you for your service. And yeah, that's right. You better hope that you got the grace to, to maintain a degree track because you're screwed at that point. Yeah. And so if, if I'm a college football player and I'm elite, and, and I don't know if you saw this, but the first college player to come out and say I'm opting out of the season was a Virginia Tech player. And he said uh, he's a projected first round pick. And he's like, I'm good. Yeah. Um, you know, thank you for everything. Uh, I, I, it's just not in my best interest to do this. And wow. Um, and, and I thought to myself, I would not be surprised if you see more players doing that. And I, for one, and I know that the college paid to play scheme is something that's highly debated, but Mm -hmm. I fall on the side of, I think that they are underpaid given the amount of money that's brought in from the school. Absolutely. And, and I don't feel that a scholarship is a worthy compensation in terms of what they do for the school and what they put on the line for the school. But I think you're going to have a season because Think about the billions of dollars that is on the line for these schools. I mean, and even that that's just not not even sports, but all the education money that they get. They can't afford to just say, hey, look, we're going to take a year off because we think this pandemic is a big deal. Um, and, and and I'm not saying I fought them or not for that. That's just the way that I feel, because I think economically speaking, that's where we're making most of our decisions. We are thinking about our bank accounts more than the safety of 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 other people and yeah and and it's it's conflicting but what i really don't like is when you get ex sports fan who says why can't they play it's like dude you're not out there yeah you're yeah you're you're willing to say hey that guy's or or that woman their their health is secondary to mine so go out there for my entertainment you know like like we're in the gladiator days and it's it and and i feel that these players if they make the decision to say screw it i'm not playing hats off to you my friend because that's what i would do yeah i i i'm in the um i'm in the opposite of that camp uh for a few reasons and uh part of it is because of my training cap so a lot of um some of these comorbidities is that over um sorry um obesity is one of those things and you got a 300 pound lineman you know he's, he's a left you know, left tackle or, or, or he's a defensive tackle or whatever it is. Um, these kids are out there, like you said, for nothing. They're out there for a scholarship, you know, that is year to year because if the next hot shot's coming out of high school or, or transferring from another division, then your space is going to be, you know, do we want to keep this guy on scholarship and get another guy in? So obviously, yeah, does the risk outweigh the reward um, financially? I think it's, it's going to take one of these kids to die. 
and then it's going to be like shame on you why did you guys have to play because of what you just said about in regards to you know hey just get out there and play for my entertainment no it, it, it doesn't you know we're sitting with baseball where these guys went out on a night like a night on the town like are you kidding me and then caused their team to have a massive um, infection and then they probably who, who else they gave it to and I'm like so keeping these guys they're grown men to keep them and grown women to keep them you know, in in line, what is it going to take? Yeah, the danger is real, and in that regard, the other part of, of of why I say no to it is that, um, and yes, you're right. To make a point, I'm a placeholder. To make a point, a lot of jobs, not, not only the front office, but like the vendors at the stadium, the parking attendants, the security guards, the people that sell merchandise. You know, all of those businesses are suffering as well. So yes, it is a conglomerate of stuff. That um that's affected, but again, it just takes one person, one kid to die. You know, a high school player, a college player, or God forbid, you know, an NFL player, high high profile guy to go down, and then we got a you know we got a moral thing to deal with. Like, why did we even get out there in the first place? Um, I've been watching sports the best I can without an audience. Um, boxing, I'm still coming around to it. MMA, I'm kind of cool with that. But to watch a baseball game, it, I ten minutes and I'm like, I can't watch these fake cutout cardboards, and it's just too much. <laughs> so, yeah. So let me clarify like what I was saying, I, and I think it's important that I put out there that I was giving the leagues the benefit of the doubt that their first line of thinking is all of the people that are affected by not having jobs and so forth. Absolutely. When when you and I both know that I know more than. But I think if you're talking about optics, because so often what these leagues are worried about are how things look, not what is actually happening. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, let's take the NFL without necessarily getting in. You know, we can dive into this if you want. I'm, I'm, I'm more than willing. But let's take the Kaepernick situation. Right. So for four years, we heard that the NFL cared about social justice, but they didn't actually show that. Right. And it took all of the events of what's happened the last two months for them to come out and be like, yeah, you know, we support that. And um, and that's what I think, you know, when you're you're right, that if somebody dies on their watch, it's going to be something that they have to take into consideration. But up until that point, they're going to make it seem like they actually care about the parking attendants and the vendors when really what they care about is their bottom line. Absolutely. Yeah. Plain and, plain and simple. And I, and I don't think that that's unrealistic because look at the Cleveland Browns who sucked, still suck, but sucked for so many years. And the guy sold it for like $2 billion when he bought it for 500 million or whatever it was. It was some ridiculous uh, markup on his investment. And his team was awful. The product was actually awful. Like no other company can do that. No. no other the Apple can't give us a shitty iPhone and then try and sell the company for twice what they paid for. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. But the but the the sports teams for the most part, you know, are out for their bottom line because there's so much involved, but they're going to sit there and tell you that they care about uh Jane and John Doe who work in the concession stand when ultimately they don't. Yeah, it it it, it is absolutely insane. Um, I, you made a point to, we were texting the other night and you made a great point about uh, Patty Mahomes um, you know it's doing great the guy's living his best life right now um, but you made a good point about you know the, the offseason money and how free agency has been affected by by COVID you want to expand for the audience what you what you were telling me about that sure I mean I think a perfect example I don't know if necessarily Mahomes is the uh, the prime example because he was going to get paid a lot of money regardless. And football contracts are a little bit different um, because, as, as you know, not too long ago, nothing was really guaranteed. You got a signing bonus, and that was really what you were, you were negotiating. And a lot of these teams structured these contracts so that they could cut players at any time, and you never really saw the full value of the contract. It's a little bit different now because the guaranteed money aspect of it has gone up with collective bargaining being you know different right the the union continues to get stronger but i think baseball is the really great example of this because you're talking about fully guaranteed money and let's take a player like mookie betts who the red sox just traded because they said they couldn't afford him or they weren't going to be able to afford him when he hit the open market mm -hmm. they offered him something like 10 years 300 million which 
most people listening right now are signing that contract before the, the ink is dry. Dry, like yeah. They're signing. So he just signed an extension with the Dodgers because they traded him to the Dodgers for a questionable haul. But And it was like, I think it, it's going to end up being 12 years, 320 or something like that. Something in that range. So he really didn't get all that much more than what was offered to him. And, but, and put two more years on, on, on playing. Yeah. <laughs> right. And now... But what you got to look at is if if he's smart, which I think that he is and the people around him are, they're looking at, well, we don't really know what the long-term effects of the pandemic are. And while we've already seen an economic shift in many ways, um, and, you know, who knows what elections are going to hold, what the future is going to hold, and the, the economy could absolutely collapse. And if it does, before he signs that big deal and he takes it and he banks on himself and takes a risk, then he is screwed. Right. And, and I get that we're talking about money that most of us can't even fathom and, and let alone think about living on. Right. But I think that's what it is, is, is these players, if they have a chance to make big time money now, and we're talking about players who haven't made big time money yet, yeah. where Mahomes for what he's done for that team, he's been paid peanuts. Relative. Yeah, John Wet, uh, John Elway made it, uh, which I was surprised. John was like, I would have paid more. And I'm like, wow, John Elway said that. That's probably true because he paid like Brock Eisweiler $85 million or something <laughs> like that. So, yeah, he would just he, – he throws out checks for quarterbacks because he doesn't have a goddamn clue what a quarterback looks like, right? And I think that that – you know, but Mahomes hadn't gotten paid. So he – the Chiefs, obviously, they look at him. They're completely smitten with him. He's won a Super Bowl for them. There's nothing stopping that team from doing what the Patriots have done the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Outside of the outside of the franchise's own stupidity, which is what the Patriots didn't let happen. They had a coach and owner who said, we know what our roles are. We're going to do them. And they did them, right? Yeah. And they stuck to that philosophy for better or for worse. They stuck to it and it got them loads of success. I think the Chiefs could be that. So Mahomes is like sitting there and the Chiefs are like, we'll pay you whatever you want. Yeah. And a lot of people said well, he could have gotten more if he waited. Maybe, but are we really? Are yeah. we? But are we really going to sit there and say, "Oh, Pat, what are you doing? Like five hundred mil? You're crazy." Yeah. Um, and <laughs> he, basically, what just happened for him is just by signing that contract and getting his. Well, what was the guarantee? Wasn't it almost a hundred mil guaranteed? It was yeah. Something crazy, right? Yeah. That's basically he's done. He yeah. Could, he he could have signed that contract and said, "You know what, Chiefs." I'm retiring. I'm good. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah, I mean that's what I said. I said he's. I think I was talking to somebody at the gym. I said he, you know, he's at the point where even if he never sniffs the playoffs again, the guy, the guy maxed out, put all his chips in. Yeah, he's doing well. Yeah, doing and well. and and let's be honest, right? The five hundred million in that contract is nothing compared to what he's doing now. I mean, did you see that? Was he on GQ? And I was like, oh, geez. yeah, yeah, right. Like he's got this ridiculously. Um, <laughs> I don't, geez, I mean, without, you know, without sounding um, you know, weird or whatever, but it's like, I'm like, it's dripping with just machismo and awesomeness. Yeah. And I'm like, Jesus. Hey, I was like, man, I, it's, it's called the victory lap, bro. Oh, please. <laughs> and I was like, I, I, I looked at it, right? And I, I said to Chris, I was like, I will never feel this good in my entire life as he looks in this cover photo. Like, basically, he's telling me to go fuck myself. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those like, look at your life, look at mine. I'm winning. You're not. You know. Yeah. So, but think about it now. If you're a free agent next year, right? So you, everything is in flux. And if you're thinking, well, I was thought I was going to get paid next year. It's got to be extremely scary for these guys in these sports who are up and coming and have had many good years, but have not really cashed in on their wealth relative again. The, the dollars are relative to the sport that we're playing. And I realize, again, that we're talking about ridiculously more money than most of us are, are even going to sniff in our lifetime. But I think it's still important to say that whether they're making $200 million or $2 million, it's still relative to the economics of the sport that we're talking about. And, and in sports, Absolutely. the economics are different. And, yeah, I mean, these guys could end up not getting their pay because the economy could tank or these sports could tank. I mean, baseball is in the worst position of all the major sports because their fan base has been getting older and dwindling for years. And they have zero ability to adapt to it. And so they could easily fold 
because of all of this. Yeah, and it's, that's an it, old sport too, man. That's they've been around a while. Absolutely. And so you're talking about these players who are sitting there. And, and again, remember, Cleve, right? Like in every other major sport outside of baseball, for the most part, these players go straight to the pros. They don't go to some minor league system. Whereas in baseball, you get drafted. Even if you get drafted, you get buried in single A baseball and you make like 35 grand a year. Yeah. And you travel like a dog. And you and I couldn't live off of that. Yeah. But these, nah. play, the, these, these, these young kids are. And some of them have families already and you know they're trying to build families and all that and so now if baseball folds their entire life and their entire career is done and so that's what i think the, the pandemic has done for sports and free agency i think it's going to be very very interesting because if things continue the way that they go and we see some paradigm shift you might see owners and teams not willing to give out money and you're probably going to be seeing more of the scotty pippen like deals from the last dance where he signed because he's like i don't know if i'm going to get paid and then he got vastly underpaid yeah right yeah he got with the best two man in the league yeah yeah and so i think you might see some of that because these players might think i gotta get it while the getting's good because there might not be anything to get soon um and i i think that's a fascinating element of this because i think on the surface it's just well when are they going to play but oh man, the, the layers underneath all of this stuff are are more interesting to me than the X's and O's. Yeah, I was, yeah, and and that's why I wanted to definitely get you on to discuss stuff like that because one of the things that's that's you know football has a shelf life for what three years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, three years. So you have to maximize a lot in three years. That's three seasons. God forbid you get injured, you know, or or you get suspended or popped for something. You know, uh, outside of outside of football, and then you've lost a year. That's catastrophic mm-hmm. on a three year three year lifespan to kind of get paid. Yep, you have to be perfect, playing wise, off the field, um, and your endorsement money, your your profitability. Now switching gears to a sport that we both love near and dear, boxing is a unique situation as well because if you postpone any more fights these guys get older <laughs> these guys get older now they're not probably facing somebody in the layoff but they're going to be a year older when they were supposed to fight somebody if, they, if the fight's been pushed I've mm-hmm. seen three fights of note that have been pushed um, into now the fall and these guys have been training for it now they're going to probably have to pause training to, to not overtrain. Um, and then, of course, now we have this spectacle of, of, of uh, I mean, I don't even know why, would, you know, why this is happening, but it's, uh, it's Roy and, and, and Mike, and I'm like, man, you know, two, two icons in the sport, but I don't think Roy is, you know, I don't think he knows what he's doing or getting himself into because it just takes one punch from Mike, man. I don't care how fast this thing goes, and it's over for him. Could so, be hurt pretty bad. I thought a little bit more about boxing recently after we kind of touched on these a little bit and i realized that there was an aspect of the no crowd part of it that i think i wasn't taking into consideration when thinking that boxing was doing a lot of good and that it was good to see these these fighters out there is a lot of what these fighters end up taking home and you can you know kind of educate me is 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 tied to the gate right and it's tied to buys or watches if you will on these things and now what i'm curious about is how much are these promoters losing and therefore we know that the fighters are losing because there's no true gate because there are no fans to that are paying for attendance that is correct and i'm curious now what that's going to do because let's take a mayweather for instance who obviously is known for making a ton of money yeah but he's not going to take a fight without a crowd because that is significantly going to reduce his paycheck, yeah. I would think, right? Yeah. And so unless you're a guy like Canelo who signed a you know specific contract for a certain amount of fights and a big number there, most of these young guys are want to fight because they, they want to keep getting higher and higher so they can make more money. But I think the less time we spend with fans in – sports like that in combat sports the the less of those big money the fights that they're going to be and you're going to end up with these young guys who want to come up and prove themselves they're going to fight their ass off to get up there and then there might not be the big money to be made because the big money fighters are like i'm not doing that yeah and and i know that you said that they, they you know they they take a year off or whatever but 
I mean, especially if they're getting up there, like a Triple G, for instance, like, is he going to sit there and train for a fight that he's going to make half of what he could have made yeah. at his age? Probably not. not I mean, no, he's not. He's maybe not. not, right? Because as we have talked about, these guys, Triple G is a perfect example for me because he is, what, 38? Uh, yeah, 37, like 38, yeah. 37, 38. So he's my age. And he obviously had a run that was pretty unprecedented for a while there. Like, he was at the top of his game for, it was what, like 20 or 30 fights or something like that in yeah. a row, right? But as we've seen recently, his recent work, he's been touched quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And so these young guys who have nothing to lose fight a guy like him where he takes home the bigger gate and they're looking for the notoriety. Now he's taking home less of a gate or, hey, if he takes one punch, his money-making days are shot. Yeah. So that was something I didn't consider because I thought, well, fans, you know, it takes away from the entertainment value of it. But I realized after thinking is it's taking away from the earning capability of the fighters that are out there. And we're not talking about baseball where you got to show up and, you know, you hit once every nine person, you know, nine people and you do some other things. These guys are getting they're putting their lives on the line, getting hit for their career. Like that's what they're doing. And it's, it's, it's a much more impactful thing. And MMA, I think, is even more so because, good Lord, uh, you know, you sent me a video about what punches sound like in an empty arena. Can you imagine yeah. what they sound like from an MMA yeah. fighter? Oh, yeah. Ooh. If you're pounding someone on the ground, that's probably absolutely brutal to watch. Skull cracking. <laughs> and I don't want to. And like you, you don't think about hearing those things. Right. So then imagine that. And Dana White, as we know, is kind of. Uh, I don't want to say cheap, but you know, Masvidal recently has said, hey, you're not going to pay me what I'm worth. I'm not going out there. Yeah. So it could, it could be very interesting. because Nah, I think- it, it, combat sports, I mean, like I said, in its uniqueness, um, especially in these times, the thing about it is, is you're right. The gate is a major, is if not 70% of your take, it's a major part. And someone like Mayweather, for instance, who's a promoter and a fighter, his gate intake is a lot more. Like he's he's backing on ninety percent of what he's gonna make is gonna be on the gate plus the, the purse, which is gonna be a handsome purse. But it's 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 ridiculous. And one of the things about about boxing that we also need to consider is that if let's do Triple G for example, if let's say this thing goes two years, right now he's he's what 39, 40? Yeah, he might he might say you know what I'm, I think I'm done. Who, who who's the big name now? Who are mm-hmm. you gonna face now? So then promoters are like, well, I can't pay you guys a hundred million dollars because you guys are un- relatively unknown, and you guys are not worth this two hundred dollar this two hundred million dollar purse. So that's the thing. Like the window is small. You know, back in the day, fighters fought a hell of a lot more than they fight now. You know, Mayweather says he fought twice a year because he wanted to keep his himself himself great. I'm like, okay, well, then you can't call yourself TBE when a guy like, you know, Sugar Ray Robinson won 40 straight, took a loss, and then racked, and then rattled off 87 fights or some shit like that without a loss after that. It was, or it might be the reverse. He literally lost the fight and he rattled off like another like 40 in a row, you know, over oh, yeah. some time. So it's crazy, man. So you, you touched on something there that, that I think is worth expounding on. And you talked about the promoters and how much they're losing. So you and I have talked at length about how boxing fans today do not get the fights that they should be getting because the promoters are, and, and to, the, to an extent, the fighters, because the promoters are kind of an extension of the fighters sometimes. They, we're not getting the fights that we, we should be getting of the best versus the best because of these money discussions so you get a guy like Thurman who'd rather take a fight against what he thought was an aging Pacquiao for less money than he would have gotten with to face Spence with it. Um, and now imagine the promoters getting 70% less of what they were getting yeah. So are we ever going to see some of the big name fights if it continues this way? And the sport ultimately ultimately loses as a result because I think you can say that boxing in general, its popularity has waned over the last you know 20 years or so 
because you have a lot of the, you, you don't have as much of the casual fan as I think you used to. Um, so now if you don't have the big name fights, we have less of them than we did before. And now we could have even less of them because the promoters aren't making as much money. So they're I, I wonder if that's if that ends up being a byproduct that ultimately hurts the sport long term. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're absolutely on you're absolutely on point with that. And to your point, FanDuel, I play FanDuel. I didn't I didn't do DraftKings, but I, I do FanDuel. They threw an extra ten bucks in my account <laughs> just to get me just to get me to play last night. You know, so everyone's everyone's taking a hit, man. I mean. When you talk about economics, it's it's billions upon billions of dollars because collectively, because again, you know, the fan duels and the draft kings of the world, they don't have games that they that people can bet on, you know. Mm-hmm. And you have a captive audience. So, you know, people are home, people are sports stars in that regard. So it's like, wait a minute, like we're losing way more. There's no gate, there's nothing to make and I still have a lease on this stadium that I have to pay for. You know, it's a lot of economics in flux, man. I mean, you are absolutely right. Isn't it interesting that we're thirsty for sports, but yet when baseball comes out with no fans, we're like, ah, I'll pass. No, because like, we weren't, we weren't, the expectation wasn't managed. Like, I, <laughs> I, I tell people, I said, watching, it's easy for me to watch a boxing match with no fans because I've watched tons of, tons of, tons of fights in the gym um, of people just sparring. And I have the best seat in the house. And I'm like, that feels like me just watching a great sparring session or a great fight where I'm privileged to, to be right front and center. I don't need I don't need a, a whole crowd to see this. So, you know, a lot of uh, watching football with no fans, that's going to be awful. Mm-hmm. Um, the basketball, they've condensed the camera to kind of show that, you know, just the court. But if they pan out, you see how empty that, that arena is. You see how empty the space is. And by you bringing it down and putting some crowd noise, because they pumped in some crowd noise, it, it makes you feel like you're watching an actual arena-filled sport. You know that they're just panning down to the actual court level, and in that regard. So I just, you know, I just, you know, I don't want to see someone get hurt um, from the aspect of like because of my entertainment, meaning hurt like they contract something, take it back to their families, and then it's it's catastrophic. Or I don't want to see someone. Who took four months off because they weren't able to train the way they were for their sport. People don't realize that a finely tuned athlete is training constantly. They're yep. rehabbing, they're, you know, some of these guys benefited from having some time off playing basketball. Some of them regressed because their their bodies are used to pounding that court, you know, for the last three months and they haven't been doing that. So you started seeing injuries already in the WNBA where you know, people's knees are getting blown out. Chili's heels are blown out. And I'm like, yeah, yep. that's, that's deconditioned athletes. They haven't been able to train properly for the last few months. Yep. Agreed. And if there's a industry that's been hurt, in my mind, the most from having no fans, it's pro wrestling. Okay. Um, you know, and as, as a guy who loves pro wrestling and has for a long, long time, I can't watch it. Even watching it, knowing that I'm seeing a little bit of a different product because you kind of ins and outs a little bit more and they have to be more creative. Yeah. It's a it's a entertainment piece that is absolutely made better by the crowd. And yes, it's and I I can't do it. And I feel like it's not because I don't love wrestling anymore. It's because uh, the crowd helps tell the stories of what you're looking at. I mean, and, imagine. Yeah. Yeah. No, go ahead. I was going to say, imagine no. Andre, imagine Hulk Hogan slamming Andre the Giant to absolute silence. Yeah, Nobody would have cared. <laughs> Nobody would have cared. And so why are they supposed to care now? I mean, I don't know if you've seen the numbers, but like Monday Night Raw is coming in at just over a million viewers, which is wow. atrocious yeah. for considering during the Attitude Era with Stone Cold, they were doing some ridiculous like 14 million or something. Yeah, that's um, a drop off. That's a drop off. Oh, wow. please. And yeah, so I, I think the no crowd thing is just going to affect products in which we don't realize the crowd makes a huge difference. Like football, when we watch playoff football, it's because the crowds are at full throat and it's exciting. Yeah. yeah. Like, is it really going to be cool when they go the game, uh, the go ahead touchdown is scored and there's nothing? Nothing. Yeah. The um, it's funny you said something about the about the viewership. There were there were like five or six million people that watched a, a NBA 2K game on ESPN. Yep, I, I could my mind was blown, bro. I was like, oh my god, did that really happen? Yeah, Some but guys million are playing a video game. 
of themselves playing on the team that they play on. And you have 7 million people that have nothing to do but to watch this. Yeah, but I you got to re- completely blown away. You got to remember that half of what people make money on YouTube doing is playing video games for other people to watch. Yeah. So young people sit there and watch other people play video games. And to me, I mean, think about like Madden tournaments and all these other things. I mean, they're televised and people watch them. Yeah. So it's not that crazy. Uh, I think they, they, it was smart. Hey, we have all these young people who all they do on YouTube is this, right? So let's put it on national television. And they did what, seven mil? And it's like, seven okay, mil, yeah. sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it was better than the NASCAR uh, version <laughs> where the guy dropped the, dropped the end bomb. <laughs> Man, oh, man, so I don't know, like, again, I don't know if you want to go into that, but I, you know, like, more and more, I, I, I find myself sitting on the sidelines for a lot of things because I like to be an observer and sort of take in all of the information before I decide how I'd like to react to things. And and, and people are different, right? Some mm-hmm. people are, are more out there at the beginning and some people are, you know, kind of in the middle. And when those things happen, I don't know if you saw the Dabo Swinney thing too, where his you know defensive coordinator, I guess, had been using words like that. And I'm thinking, how in the hell is it 2020 and we still can't even get the lowest common denominator out of people? Like it makes me sad because it's because like, they're winning, man. The program is winning, like they, you know, winning. And it's sad to say this, man. For you guys out there, you know, we watch sports where some of these guys are not who you think they are. Some of these coaches are not who they who you think they are. TV kind of gives you this lens of like this person is a great person, and they may not be. They may be great in their own regard, but if you're winning, you overlook you know a rape case. You overlook. I mean, look at look at Ohio State situation back in the day. You know, well a few years removed now, you know, where where this guy is, is committing an atrocious situation, and they're just like you know well, you know we're winning or we try to have a winning program or. For the sake of the program, let's not, you know, go out of school with this. And it's, it's nuts. But, you know, I just look at it like, you know, you have to police, you know, what you can. But yeah. people are going to be who they are. You know, people are, people are going to be who they are. Things are tolerated at a, at a micro level. And yeah. until it gets out of, out of the clubhouse, it gets out of the locker room, then it becomes an issue. But these guys didn't have a problem with it. Obviously, they didn't. You know, all the guys that passed through there, all the guys that play there still, they didn't have a problem with it. So why should we? I know it sounds crazy, but it's like it's like they didn't have a problem with it until somebody knocked it out to the entire public realm. You know? Yeah. No, I get it. It just makes me sad that as a as a race, so like as a white person living in this country, that there are so many white people who aren't even capable of the lowest common denominator of human decency. Like, you're in a virtual NASCAR race and you drop that word and it's like, (laughs) what is wrong? Like, and it just, it makes me sad because while I'm not the person who's going to go out to rallies and stuff because it's just the way I, you know, that's just the way I choose not to, not not to, that's not the way I choose to support, but it's like, Man, come on! Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and what what gets me too is with all of these situations, we're not even talking racial stuff. We're talking every time somebody gets caught doing something, they're like, "Oh, you know, I apologize. It was an isolated incident." And it's like, dude, there is no way that you dropped that on national TV and it was the first damn time. You yeah, used no, that word. And he, and he hard hard it too. So come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and. That, that that makes me sad because the apologies are for getting caught. They're not for for you know the action itself, and and we don't learn. And that that does that that just was something that came out of that NASCAR thing because I'm not a NASCAR fan. But when I saw that, I just couldn't help but put my head in my hands and think, people are so dumb. Like what? Like I mean, I don't I don't get it, and it makes yeah. me sad. And like I said, we don't have to go into all of that. Yeah, no, we, I, we could I, talk there, yeah, but. I, I... I mentioned I mentioned this on an episode uh, a few a few while back a while back. Like I grew up um, as like a little kid. I played I played you know some sports, but I also was a fan of a lot of sports as a little kid. And I was a fan of NASCAR as a little kid. I know who Kale Yarbrough is. I know who Richard Petty is. Like I, I had the racetracks as a kid. And what ended up happening as I got older, I think I was in seventh or eighth grade, I started noticing that there were no people of color not only black but just spanish or native american or any any other kind and i'm like well, you know i'm like why do i watch this 
And I said, you know, and then it, it, it rained away. But I'm a guy. I'm a guy's guy. I like fast cars. I like, you know, that, that whole scene. But I remember when Danica Patrick started to race. And she got so much flack. I'm like, wait a minute. So you trying to tell me that it's just for one race of people to do this? Like it's or or one sex to do this. Like I'm like, what's the what's the issue? They're like, oh, I don't want to race with a woman. I'm like, what does it matter? Like it's a race car. It's she beats you. She, she's a better driver probably. I don't know, but the racist sports, um, as we know, and and that could be a separate topic by itself. Oh, yeah. It just it just comes off as you know. I'm one of those type of people that I rather know who I'm dealing with versus who I'm not dealing with. But again, when it comes down to the, the competition part of it I'm telling you man to, to the cows come home if you're winning you tolerate a whole lot of stupid shit bro oh, I know. If, 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 if the team if the program is winning it's on top and the championship's coming in they don't care but the minute that they're they're not then it's like okay we gotta we gotta address this we gotta address that I'm like really was it a problem like 10 years ago <laughs> when the national titles are rolling in well it's that's actually a good segue into a topic that I, I like, right? The sneaker world is yeah. a, the sneaker world is dominated by people of color for the most part and non-white people. And, you know, I found myself being a minority in, in that. I mean, it's not like there's no white people in it, but I think majority we, sneaker culture is thought to be more black and Asian culture than it is to be anything else. And, and um, when all of this, turmoil started recently with the George Floyd death and, and, and many other things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a lot of a lot of things on the internet that would say, I'm not allowed to be a part of that culture. And I thought, well, I don't live my life that way. I never think of myself as, or I never think of things as purely white. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's not like I don't see color. It's just, I embrace, and I think you can attest to this, I embrace everybody. I look at you the way that you come at me. Are are you a good person? And I understand the differences, right? Like, I think it's awesome that you and I have had culturally different upbringings in different ways because that's what makes us who we are. Mm -hmm. It's what makes us the people that we are. I love that stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. I actually, you know, was saddened by thinking about, wow, like, are are there, you know, people that think that I am disgracing them by being somebody who loves sneakers because I think of sneakers as something that is for everybody, not something that's just for white people, black people, brown people, whatever. I mean, and yeah, and that, yeah, that's crazy, bro. I, are you making me think about something that I didn't think about with that? Yeah, keep going. No, uh, and because I, I, the last couple of, of months have been sitting on the sidelines digesting a lot and seeing how people have reacted to this and, and from all sides, white people, black people, etc. And, you know, I've had a, a for, I say, former friend of mine tell me that I'm not welcome around her because I'm not willing to be vocal about it on the platforms that she wants me to be vocal about. And I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that, but I choose to, to fight this in my home and make sure that I fight it in my everyday life. And, you know, I don't choose to use my social media platform for that. And I thought, well, that's really too bad because I'm on your side. I just choose a different path to do it. And, and, and like, you know, well, you're, you're, you're stealing my culture by liking sneakers. And I thought, well, that's, wow. I, 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 I feel, wow. no. And I said, I feel, I, I, I don't feel that way because I don't feel like I'm doing it in a way that is something that I'm not. You shouldn't I even like, have to defend that, Matt. That is insane to me. Like, to no, but, <laughs> and, and here's, here's the thing. I don't really feel that anybody has a wrong opinion on these things because I think your life up until, you, ex- you know, up until now is what dictates how you feel about certain things. And so when I see an interaction that I feel is questionable before I react, I try and look at the person that's doing it. You know what I mean? Because there are people and you've met them and I've met them who you're never going to change. Like, it doesn't matter how many times you call them out or how many times you do these things. They are not going to change. And like cutting them out of my life is, is, a, is one thing. I feel like it's basically just cutting them out, but they're still going to be that person. People are who they are. And so with this, I thought I I took a hard look at myself to think, am I disgracing, you know, like, like, let's take black culture specifically. Like, am I, am I taking that and making it my own? 
by liking sneakers, by enjoying rap music and, and other types of things that are, you know, more, uh, more non-white, I guess, if you want to call it. I don't know. I don't want to, you know, misspeak on that. But, and I thought, I don't know, like, I've always thought that embracing many different aspects of this world was the way to go. Because... That's, how, yeah, that's, how, that's, that, that's the, I mean, that's the, that's the secret sauce to eradicate um, injustice, to eradicate racism, to eradicate a lot of stuff is just knowing somebody. I told this story uh, many times growing up um, when my daughter was a little kid. I think she was four years old, maybe four, three, three or four years old, picking her up from daycare. And she had a cut, she had a boo-boo. And um, it was, uh, it was bleeding through the band-aid. So I said, you know, to the attendant, I was like, can I get another Band-Aid and, you know, I'll, um, I'll, I'll change the um, thing on her. And one of her friends said to me, said to me and Naya, oh my God, your blood is red too. And I thought it was the cutest thing. I said, I said, yes. I said, on the inside, we're all the same, but on the outside, we have, a, you know, we have a different, you know, situation. And it was the best way I could explain that. And I said, the thing about culture, since we're talking about culture, is that like when something gets big, when something um, evolves or it grows, you cannot help it but to, it's going to bleed into other places. That's how the economics play a part of it. That's how exposure gets to it where this becomes an industry. It starts as something that maybe a local place, it's a geographical place, and all of a sudden it's it's new. Rap music is the perfect example. It's East Coast, West Coast, Down South, Midwest. All rap music but it's different types of rap music within all of that so you want you know you want the exposure but it's stupid to think that you're gonna get the exposure from all black people or all asian people or all white people like you cannot grow something to that exponential and not think that other people is going to want to get involved in it that's what's going to drive things to get popular things to become economic sneakers and, and up until the 1980s just as a little history lesson to anyone listening, sports and rap music and pop culture brought sneakers into the thing. Because back in the day, only people that wore sneakers were athletes and people going to like train for stuff. Sneakers wasn't not something that you just wore on a on a uh, on a Saturday afternoon. You were, oh, I'm going out to the mall and put a pair of sneakers on. That wasn't the thing that you did, you know. Before Air Jordan, before Nike was big because of Michael Air Jordan. Nike wasn't as big in 1983 or 82. The sneakers in the NBA were Brooks, Ponies, Adidas, and there's one more. Um, Converse. Converse, yes. And Converse has actually been around since the 60s because Bill Russell and all those guys, they were, and Will Chamberlain, they were Converse. So Nike, Phil Knight and those boys, they got their real exposure to a lot of stuff through sports, through popular culture. So um, one of the things that um, I always have an issue with my own race about, for those that you know, that are listening for the first time, I am African-American or black. I actually choose black versus African-American for a lot of reasons. But I, there's no monopoly on anything. Like there's no monopoly on, okay, this is rap music. You can't be a part of it. Like, okay, then, then why start it? <laughs> It's, it's, it's just, maybe that's just me, but you want to be all-inclusive because you'll find, you know, if you feel the team of people to, to start a sport and you pick all people that, that look like you, you may not find someone that's that's the X factor in this game, you know? I'm like, well, you got all seven-foot-tall guys. <laughs> you got all trees out here, but no, but no point guard, you know? Or, yeah. or no whatever. You know, Jeremy Lin was a, his story is, is actually fa- fascinating if you ever get a chance to look. Oh, yeah. I mean, the kid, you know, the kid went to Harvard and he he basically had to fight so much stereotypes to play basketball. To play basketball. Who was invented by a white person? Like, yep, I, don't, I know. <laughs> well, it blows my mind, dude. For, for me, so... I'll get into, I guess, where I started in sneakers. And there's probably a lot of people that listen to you who have they've been in the game longer than I have. And I always say that I'm I'm relatively new. I just happen to do like the um, I, I it was almost like those crash courses when you're learning how to you know take these tests and so forth. Yeah. Um, you know, I caught up really quick on a lot of the history and so forth. But I caught to the fact 
that I did not live as a sneaker lover during the times that a lot of these people did. But um, one of the things that gravitated me toward it was that I felt like, wow, this is something that there is, there's literally something for everybody in this. Whether you're my next door neighbor who rocks his new balances with white socks up to his knees, right? Or me, or hell, my wife who likes certain likes a certain aesthetic of her sneaker you walk into a, into the sneaker world there's something for you yeah yes. it doesn't matter what you look like what it matters is how they make you feel and what you like and so when i had this i don't even want to call it a dialogue because it was a one time you're you're out of my life because of this and i thought okay wow um good for you and, man jesus no i just was like okay because i have learned as i've gotten older that um, you can't please everybody and that there are going to be relationships that you have that no longer exist for one reason or another. And when somebody comes at me in, a, in that way and says that I'm not doing something or that I am something that I'm that they think I'm something that I'm not like she felt that I was a racist because of the fact that I was a sneaker person. Wow. And I thought, well, that's, that's wow, that's crazy. bro. And I thought to myself, that's a jump. But you know what? It's her opinion and she's entitled to have it. And what I know is that when I look in the mirror, that I feel like I'm trying to do the best thing that I can do for the the underlying systemic problem by educating. And I think for me, the most important thing is that when my son grows up, he grows up with my mentality and my wife's mentality. You know what I mean? To recognize that there are differences in people, but to understand that those differences do not make anybody better or worse. And I think you see so much of that that starts in my home and it's sad because these five-year-old kids are using racist terms and i'm like there's only one way that they know that word yeah and and that's the way i choose to do it it's insane man i i I, um i've uh you know and most of my friends that listen i have a lot of friends that listen to this podcast and they know me since i was like a little kid and i i still i have a long board in my trunk I have a longboard in my trunk that I drive around with because I used to come off work sometimes when I worked in, in the corporate world and I would have such a bad day that I would find a super empty parking lot and I would just in my suit take off my jacket and I would just skate you know and I grew up with a skateboard when I was like a little kid I was seven eight years old with a skate I had a skateboard I had a BMX bike um, I had a pretty normal childhood when it comes to certain things I, I was exposed to a lot of things that probably most people aren't um, for some reason, one or the other. But I I was normal in, in thinking that, you know, if something is cool, it should be cool for me too. Mm-hmm. No one should be able to tell you, hey, man, that's not for you. Like, whoa, what are you talking about? That's not for me. I, you know, <laughs> I can't have cool sneakers too. Like that, Matt, that, that, actually, that actually blew my mind today. I, I, honest to God, I, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know what race this person is, but I'm sorry that you that you even have to even engage in that kind of dialogue with somebody, because my personality would have been like, okay, well that's fine, I'm see ya. you know. I, I just I'm so dismissive in my older like I'm older now, where I don't I don't there's certain things I don't even give credence to because I just don't have the energy in, in me. I'm like I don't is this something I should fight? Is this something? Because this is one person versus 329 million other people. In this country, I'm like, okay, if I had a million people tell me, then maybe I have a problem. But if I have one person telling me that this is like, well, because you're black or Asian or whatever, it it makes you cool in the sneaker world. Is that more street cred than I got? That's insane. You took me to a sneaker convention and I saw all walks of life. I didn't see all black people. I didn't see all white people. I didn't see... Oh, I saw women that were engaging in, 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 in bartering for, and I was lost. I had no idea if I was going to buy a pair of sneakers that thank God you was with me because I would have been taken for thousands of dollars. Yeah. And <laughs> I bet you people probably looked at my feet, looked at your feet and was like, oh, you see that guy stole his sneakers from his friend. <laughs> I was like, but remember the, the, I think the most shocking thing we saw at that convention was the 11 year old white kid. Yeah. Who told another white dude, I'm not taking less than 220. Yeah, that was actually and, great. <laughs> right? So I agree with you. And now I actually love it when I sne- see women that are sneaker aficionados because there's not enough of them. And it's always awesome. And, and uh, it's, uh, the, the inclusion of it always makes me happy. And, you know, 
I, I don't know. Like, I guess I, I don't feel like I, I don't feel like I should be apologized to for that person's opinion because what I am going to assume or think is that that person has heard that a lot there in their lifetime that they are not allowed to be a part of something because of who they are, right? Yeah. And so it was a sad, um, a sad interaction because I felt like there was nothing I could do to have a dialogue which I think is important. But at the end of the day, I think it's most important for me to know that I'm doing the right thing and, and doing the right thing by all humankind. And, and especially, you know, the, the, the black people that are in my life, because they're everybody that's in my life is important to me for one reason or another. Um, but I don't know. I mean, sneakers make me happy because of the fact that they are so inclusive and everybody can have their own thing. And so uh, steering to something more positive. You talked about having a longboard, right? Yeah. Um, so right now, if you're if you're a sneakerhead, skate shoes are totally in wow. right now. Uh, the Nike Dunk, which I have a pair on right now because I can't go anywhere, so I have to wear heat in the house. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know all that stuff, but it's just the other thing about sneaker culture that's interesting is while it's there's something for everybody it still is kind of exclusive in a way because you have elitists yeah. who you know and all that kind of stuff and i recognize in myself that i'm not on the same level as a lot of people so you know a lot of sneakerheads can say i remember waiting in line in 2005 for this shoe and i'm not that person and yeah. not because um, I, you know, I, like my parents couldn't afford it. They basically told me that they just wanted to spend their money on stuff that was more yeah. useful. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, ah, they're my parents. I can't say anything. Yeah. But now I can, you know, get what I want and I just like it. And it's funny because they end up becoming talking pieces um, for a lot of people. Either there's somebody who knows what they are or they're like, oh my God, those are so cool. Where did you get those? Right. Um, and it's just it's just a love of mine because it's something that is unique to me in the styles that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I like different styles. Yeah. And that's the best part. You're an Air Force One guy. Yeah. Right. Yep. And I'm more of a Nike Dunk Jordan guy, and that's that's cool. It doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that that's kind of the fun part of it. But um, you know, we could talk for hours. On yeah. That. I mean, I'm I'm definitely gonna have you on to to do a um. To do a a a, a how to spot stuff, I'll, I'll have you. Um, you know, this guy is in the business of of consulting with, so I'll have you able to you know plug what you're doing, how to contact you, and you know for people that want to get into it, um, that want to get someone to vet for them or whatever it is, you know that that regard. I mean, you make a good point. That's it's always levels to everything. Um, you got some people like I collect martial arts movies. I have. Uh, a sick collection of martial arts movies that there's certain things I have that's so rare every once in a while for shits and giggles I'll jump on eBay or Amazon's um, marketplace and I'll and I'll you know I'll, I'll put it up for sale to see what I can fetch and I'm like wow I paid eight dollars for this back in 1991 and it's worth 350 dollars today mm-hmm. because they didn't make a lot of these you know they're out of print or whatever it is and but I would never sell that. You know, I would have to be on hard times, God forbid, and I had to offload my, and that would hurt me to do that. Some people collect sneakers to collect them and hold them and trade later. Some yep. people collect them to wear them. I mean, buy them to wear them. Some people, you know, they, you know, they, they use it as currency because I've learned in my, you know, little bit knowing about it, it's a currency thing too. You know, it gets you into a club. You may have a piece that someone's been looking for forever, and they'll pay you five grand for it. I mean, <laughs> you took me to your barber shop, what, back in December, I think? Yeah. When the world was more normal. Yeah. And I made sure to wear something that I knew would be recognized, but not necessarily that was flashy. And it was, what, 75% of the way through our time there. And I was part, you know, like observing a lot of the time. But I think somebody pointed at me and said, yeah. we knew you were good as soon as we saw those. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you're right. But... I think if I can shamelessly plug myself for, for a minute, yeah, sure. um, one of the things that I've learned about the sneaker world and the sneaker game is that education is really key. Um, I, I discovered it by accident in New York City with a friend of mine. And, you know, when I was first starting out in it, I had no clue how resale worked. I really didn't understand the economics of hype. Uh, and that's kind of 
I've sort of coined that phrase economics of hype because I think hype is its own economic branch um, in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, I, I didn't learn a lot. And over over the course of the last two years, I've learned so much in my own research, making mistakes with purchases, uh, you know, and, and different things. And uh, I think to me, the most important thing for anybody who wants to be a whether you want to be a collector of retail sneakers or whether you just want retail or replica sneakers to rock um i've educated myself in all of it and i think that's the most important thing and so what i'm looking to get off the ground at some point is a you know kind of like a consulting thing where i can hopefully help educate and let people make their own decisions on where they want to be do they want to be the person that pays fifteen thousand dollars for a pair of air jordan diors sure that's what you want you know, I can help educate you there. Or do you just want to get sneakers that you couldn't get 15 years ago and I can get you a replica pair for a price you can afford and you don't care whether the elitists want that or not? You know, I can do that for you too. And that's what I've done for myself. And it's been great because I, I feel comfortable in what I'm wearing. And if somebody said to me, hey man, those aren't real, I'd be like, I mean, they're on my feet. They're real to me. So that's good enough, yeah. right? That's good enough yeah. for me. Uh, I mean, I feel like anybody who's been to New York City has had that guy come to him and be like, hey, man, you want a Rolex? And he snaps his fingers and out of some bush comes a guy with a, you know, with a, a, a briefcase with every single watch you could possibly imagine. And you're like, yeah, I'll take that one for 30 bucks um, or whatever. And again, I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to spot a, um Someone showed me how to spot. I think it was one of my dad's friends, how to spot a fake Rolex because of the, of, of how the, the, the hands move or something. But again, to the natural, to the casual, and, and, and that's what I meant about levels. Yes. You know, in sports, there, there are fans that can, if, if you say a name of a person, if you say Tom Brady, they can give you every stat line the guy has. And I'm like, bro, I, I just... I don't, I'm not that into yeah. it. I'm just like, you know, I agree. <laughs> okay. that's the thing about me is I can give you all that info on all these sneakers, but I just choose to, um, to be the, the type of sneaker lover that I am. Um, I, I'm not a person who gets so into hype that I'm willing to pay a lot of money for things because it's just me. It's economics is things are worth what you're willing to pay for them. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And so, if so, if people are willing to pay hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars resale, you know, markup, then that's what it's worth to them. It's just not worth it to me because at the end of my day, there isn't an added value to somebody knowing that these are like stamped by Nike. When for some shoes, Nike's QC is god awful. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Especially uh, Jordan yeah. brand. Like if you go back, it's. Yeah, they got sloppy. Oh my god. It's so great when you take retros, like a Jordan 5 retro over the last two years, and you compare them to like the originals. The toe boxes have changed like a dozen times. And it's it seems incremental, but it's the strangest thing. How you'd think, well, how does that happen? How you know, how does that work? Um, and so I, I again I think education is key. And I think if somebody's brand new and doesn't want to, you know, be had or doesn't know what they want to do. That's where I like to think that I can help people out, you know, and, and say, hey, I could be saving you hundreds of dollars. And so I find myself valuable. And that's why I'm hoping by like yeah. the beginning of September, I can have something up and maybe have a Absolutely. have a few start, you know, have a few starter clients that are maybe good friends of yours who we can kind of feel this thing out together because I want to make sure that people are happy and that it's something that I can really do. Uh, but I'd love to come back on and, and talk sneakers just exclusively because Absolutely. that is, to me, so fun. Uh, and you've seen my collection and it it, it yep. ever grows. And, you know, my wife, um, I, I, I call it the look. She used to give me the look a lot, be like the, holy shit, there's another package on the front porch. Uh, but when I have now proved to her that I can monetize it, she's kind of like, okay, there's another package yeah. on the front porch and I'm kind of good with it. Uh, you know, and, and what I've kind of said to her too is, Hey, look, if this, if all of the, that this does is financially fuel me to just buy the shoes that I want and it doesn't take out of our bottom line. And I feel like that's a win. Right. And yeah. no, I mean, people got, people got way more expensive hobbies than that. Think about the guy that has the, has the six, seven Camaro in his garage and he's just buying carloads of parts from all over the world. And it's thousands of thousands of dollars. And I'm like, it's a Camaro that you're not, it's not even driven yet. You just, changing stuff out you know so yeah i, I told, Dude, you I told her i was like think about it this way the worst 
thing that you're going to find in bed with me is a pair of my shoes, not another woman. So I feel like we're good. I was like, if you come home and I'm like snuggling my pair of Travis Scott dunks, you'll be like, I mean, it's better than the alternative. So yeah, it's insane. I was like, I could have way worse mistresses or vices than this. And um, she, she does, she does make me laugh because when she was pregnant last year, she kind of got a little bit, she kind of got a little heat crazy because all of a sudden I'm like, hey, you have four pairs of J's now. Like, did you happen to know, like, that? did you, did you realize that that happened? And she's like, yeah, so. And I'm like, it doesn't take much. Yeah, it's a take. It's a bump of That's cocaine. what I told her. I was like, I was like, right now you're like smacking your lips and rubbing your teeth with your finger. And she's like, so she, she has kind of stepped off that. But it was just really funny when I was like, you have four colorways of the same shoe in my shoe boxes. And she was like, shit. Yeah. So I caught yeah. her into it. No, it happens. It yep. happens, man. Yeah. Well, this is this has been great. Um, thank you for being on the yep. manual. Absolutely. We, thank you uh, for having me. We will definitely have you on again. Um, and you know, like I said, it's, it's always an open invite. Yeah. So feel free to get on. And again, it's so fluid and it's so organic, you know, it's, it's really what it is. So thank you again for choosing the manual. Thank you for having me, my man. Appreciate it. All right. And have a, have a great day, bro.